On this week's episode of Treading Water, we take a dive into the world of music with former water polo player Ben Goldstein. After a promising junior career was cut short due to dodgy hips, Ben focused on his other passion, making music. Having competed on Channel 9's The Voice, Ben was given the head start in his career that most musicians dream of, but also an insight into what happens in the music business, specifically what's real and what's not. In order to really find his musical passion, Ben has gotten in touch with his roots in Israel with some harrowing experiences, being smuggled over the Palestinian border and living homeless on the streets of Europe and busking his way to feed himself. Ben is now resettled in Australia, is growing his business and is quite literally the type of guy who can achieve anything he puts his mind to and does it in such a layback way that it's just impressive to be around. We do have to note though that despite being in a recording studio to record this episode, we, or I, forgot to switch the audio from the computer microphone to the handheld mics that we have. So while the sound is not the best, we hope you enjoy it regardless, and I'm very sorry in advance. All right, welcome everybody to this week's episode of Treading Water. We are in a very, very special place, a recording studio, the likes of which we've never seen. Firstly, my co-host, Michaela da- Davies. Da- Davies. <laughs> Davies. <laughs> Michaela Davies, welcome to the pod. Thank you. How are you going today? I'm actually pretty good. I'm not as fired up and as energetic as you are, no. but I am, I am very well. Well, you're, you are a musical talent, as we all know, so this must be pretty exciting for you to be in a, um, such a, a laboratory. Look, I'd say I guess they would probably feel pretty privileged to be in my presence. <laughs> I saw that video. <laughs> well, that, voice, that voice is our guest, Benny Goldstein. So, Benny, thanks for having us here in the, in oh, the studio. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no, it's very, very exciting. People will be seeing today, I'll be filming a little bit for our story. I've got to get some... Uh, video of the tattoo studio next door oh, inside yeah. the building. That's yeah. pretty cool. It's very exciting. You From the outside, it's just a regular residential home. Yeah. From inside. What, yeah, well, tell, us what's go- yeah, <laughs> tell us what's going on in here. So you've got two recording studios, a, a tattoo studio. What else? Yeah, I mean, we've got... So it's a, it's, a, it's a share house, obviously, and there's three levels. Bottom level is focused on uh, gardening, growing vegetables, both sides, back and out mm. and front. And then the middle level is two recording studios... Uh, and a tattoo parlor in the sunroom, which is really cool. Yeah. And then upstairs is just uh, free rooms or um, extended stays for tourists and things like that, which is really cool. And are you living here as well? I live in the hammock in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah, and I saw that. It was a beautiful room. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, this was, the, the room that you're in right now was my bedroom once. Right. And then... I guess the business work that you'll hear about. Mm. And so it slowly turned into a studio of which I then at some point found the importance of living uh, at a minimal rate. No, so, but is, is your back okay sleeping on a house? great, man. It's <laughs> fantastic. I can't have my partner over all the time. No. But, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the pod is always um, about water polo. So um, for people who don't know, you, uh, you played with the Sydney Uni Club mm. growing up. Mm. That was awesome. You, so you played uh, from 14s? to say 20s yeah just about yeah till i was 20 and then we played together a few years you get a couple of games in national league as well yeah that was an exciting time yeah yeah that was badass <laughs> and what else and you made a, a couple of australian junior squads and yeah new and south and wales um, teams yeah i made the aussie junior squad i played schoolboys for a while I did a tour in singapore which was awesome yeah Good vibe. Were you MVP one year at Nationals as well or something like that? I think you got some sort of Yeah, I was lucky enough to get that. I yeah. think that was just 
Oh, luck of the draw, I think the team played so bad. <laughs> there were so many balls thrown at me that the uh, ratio of how many I saved versus how many we scored was pretty pretty lucky. Yeah, yeah. So yes, I got it by default. <laughs> so Benny was a, um, a goalie, by the way, so... Yeah. You know. Well, you're going to, you're, Michaela is our resident goalkeeper es- expert, or expert, yes. as I was about to say. <laughs> you make sure you jump in with any questions or clarify any technicalities or okay. anything like that. Yeah. So I guess like my first question to you is, you know, we're obviously your passion right now is music and that's obviously a lifelong passion for you, but was, was sport your first passion or through water polo or did, was it something that you sort of came through sport or was music always your first passion? Um, I think music was always a side thing that was just natural like I was always part of a choir mm-hmm. but no I really wanted to do something cool I think I remember the day that I fell in love with water polo I was watching um, a game in the 2000 Olympics on television on my huge fat television with a tiny screen back in the day <laughs> um, I think it was like Greece versus Serbia or something like that and I was like what is this badass spot <laughs> you know and they're not even like touching the ground or nothing and so I, from then on, kind of wanted to play water polo. Yeah. Yeah. And oh. it was awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, I like it. Um, <laughs> well, just being goalkeeper then, like, you know, Michaela has her reasons for becoming a goalkeeper. Like, what sort of drew you towards that particular I position? had a no say in the matter, yeah. actually. Um, I, when I joined, when I was 14, I joined the Sydney Uni Club and went straight into training with Jahanga, which... The coach. I know Jahanga. I mean, you know Jahanga, yeah. Jahanga. Friend of the show, Jahanga. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he it was kind of just like, you're a go- you're the goalkeeper. That's it. And I didn't really, I never actually played a game on the field. I still to this day haven't ever touched the ball beyond the goal. Oh, wow. That blows my mind. Yeah. And I'm, gl- I'm actually glad because once you're stuck in goals and then you get a little taste of what it's, out, what it's like out on the field, you'll always want to keep going out and your coaches will forever tell you no. Yeah, well, th- I, yeah. It's horrible. I'm glad Although, I didn't taste it then. It's, um, I know what you're about to say. So <laughs> you don't have to do the swim training um, right. <laughs> during the training session. Well, I was going to say, the new, there's new rules now since you've left, and it's uh, goalkeepers can come past halfway. So Michaela played her 5-6, or her um, elimination final on Friday. It's about probably the last three minutes of the game going into attack, yes, and then swimming back to goals. goals. It, was, <laughs> it was my first time, and my first two attacks we scored, and then the third one we had a shot and it hit the post, and I was doomed from the beginning, so I turned around got kicked out straight away. Yeah. It was awful. And I had to sprint to the um, – I never realised how far the box is from – Typical goal. The beginning, the front of the goals. You know, I won't be doing that much anymore. Learn to listen. Yeah, that's it. Good. So, okay, so let, let's go back to the to musical career. So you said it's sort of like just was something that you're naturally talented at. So at what point in your water polo career did music start to take over as the number one sort of passion? Was it like a seamless transition where you went from one to the other or was it just yeah. over time it took over? I don't think it, it happened like that in my head at least. I always just played music for fun mm. but I really wanted to strive in water polo and then I just had like a little bit of complications with my hips and naturally you know I don't know if anyone who's listening out there has had an injury of some sort uh, in sport like yes you can always recover but sometimes it takes a toll on your mind you know what I mean and you, you start changing um, your priorities a little bit so after that I, when I was about 20 um, I got hip reconstructions and then I kind of was faced with the dilemma that I really didn't feel like pushing myself physically to the limits that we do as water polo players because it's ridiculous. I mean, if anyone's listening that isn't a water polo player, it's pretty damn hard sport. Yeah. Like, you, you're pushing yourself to the utmost limits and you're training twice a day. It's ridiculous. And then you play a game. Yeah. yeah. 
this is ridiculous. So uh, I didn't feel like doing that anymore. But the one incredible lesson that I managed to hold on to from my days in water polo was the importance of just grinding away at what you're good at and, and, and working hard at it. And so mm -hmm. I thought I'd just take an opportunity to step into a different realm that I love, which is music, and push myself to the utmost limits in that way. Mm. Definitely less physical um, strain, uh, definitely more mental strain, yeah. because you have ups and downs all the time, but you know, that's how I got involved in it. So, so what about like comparing you know, high-performance sport, always a high-pressure situation, but I imagine being up in front of people, your bandmates are kind of like your teammates, but is there a similarity for you between performing in a sporting environment and then performing in an artistic environment? Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, funnily enough, you say that, I think they contrast completely. Like, I think when you're playing a, a really important game in front of hundreds of people, you're really nervous. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You've got to perform. Whereas when you're playing in front of hundreds of people on a stage, it's okay because it's just people. You know what I mean? But if there's five people in the crowd, it's terrifying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas if there's five people at a game, it's like, sweet, I can play this, doesn't matter what happens. That's you know? interesting. Very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Complete opposite, you know? But yeah, it's it, 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 it's a similar feeling like that, the you know, when you jump into the pool versus when you first get on stage. Um, Hearing that first whistle, yeah. Yeah, and the butterflies go off and then you kind of have to find your way to kind of get rid of that and just... Focus. So what about like if we from a touring perspective because we know you just got back from uh, Byron Bay What were you doing up there? I was just doing a mini tour at the moment. I'm in a band called Hot Potato Band. Yeah among other projects um, And we're kind of doing like a world tour at the moment. So we're on break And so during our breaks we do East Coast tours. Oh cool. So we did just now we did Crescent Head and Brunswick Hotel and Brunswick Heads and then I just Hang around Byron because why wouldn't you? Yeah, hang around exactly. Byron? Yep. You know? So what about the? So you've been on plenty of water polo tours. Yeah. Is it touring with the band pretty similar to touring with the the boys in the water polo team? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's exactly the same. Um, <laughs> it's a mess. Yep, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's a mess. But you have to. What's the word? There's plenty of shenanigans, but you have to kind of at the end of the day take care of yourself. Mm. Otherwise, by the end of the tour, you're screwed. Exactly yeah. right. There's you know? no manager to keep you in in place and. A lot more discipline, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's just like water polo culture, music culture, very similar partying techniques. Who takes the lead on uh, like team environment? You've got a captain. Mm -hmm. Do you, who takes the lead in hot potato for you guys to like to make sure that you guys are always like you know performing at your best? Well, well our manager, who is uh, also the drummer of the band, mm -hmm. Simon Gali, he's like he lives and breathes this band. He's been doing it for ten years. Um, Kayla obviously went to school with him. So his responsibility is to make sure that we're healthy and happy and, and that we that we want to perform, that we're um, you know, waking up early enough. But the cool thing about that band in particular and the same thing in a team, yes, okay, you have a captain, but everyone has their strengths mm. and you kind of rely on different people to run stretches, for example, or you might you know rely on different people to make sure the breakfast is ready. You know what I mean? Like this shit, it's yeah. important. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's what makes the day great. So we do the same in our band. Um, How many people are, are in that band? There's ten people. Yeah. So there's a lot of jobs. There's yeah. a lot of hands, but it's a really, really loud, loud van when you're driving <laughs> up the coast. You know what I mean? A lot of farting. It's gross. <laughs> 
There's plenty of fighting oh, too. Fighting. Oh, yeah. Fights are worse, man. I yeah. can handle the fights. Yeah, <laughs> I can smell them. Well, you like you'd have to be one of the biggest musicians going around, surely, as a as a like former water polo player. For, uh, you must tower over people, surely. You mean as a physically? Yeah, speaking? physically. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's funny you say that because I was the smallest person in our team. Oh yeah, nationally. <laughs> but um, actually, no. There's this one guy in my band. Yeah. If you want to see a, what a big human looks like, his name is Dan Moore. Is he the bass player? He is this. Yeah, the bass player. And he carries a sousaphone. And he makes this thing <laughs> look small. If you know what a sousaphone is, it's like a tuba except bigger, and it wraps around your body. And he barely fits in this tube. It's amazing. That's cool. Like, no judgment, it's, but it's amazing. He's a big boy. So Have you ever thought boy. about getting him in the water polo pool? Yeah, that would be terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. No, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, maybe we should. Maybe we should. <laughs> I can all star music band. So, I guess, like, my next question is you know, mm. As athletes, we have like this competitive drive that pushes you to go to the next level, and mm. um, it's really simple because you can just boil it down to winning or losing. So, yeah. like, you know that you're doing well because you're winning or you're making a team or whatever. But I guess from my perspective, in like a creative endeavor like music, you don't really have those clear cut lines. So, like, as somebody who, as for a long time, you had that athletic, that competitive drive, how do you find know that you're doing well in in music when you don't have that clear cut lines? What's your sort of indicators of success? Um, it's a tough one because every artist will have his own answer to that question. Mm. But I, it, the way I work with my music is the same way as I learned to play water polo. And that is that there is no option and there is no such thing as the word try. There's just, you did it or you didn't do it and that's it. And so, um, I think there's also a big difference between the music in very commas, yep. and the music industry. They're two different things. The music, you just got to make good music. If you don't make good music, don't be a musician. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, don't kill my dreams yet. No, no, no. You're incredible, <laughs> bro. You, you, know, you, got the, you got the spark. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but, um, you know, just just making some sort of art form, just, you know, you got you to make it. But the music industry, there is a formula, and you just got to find it. It's, it's like the same way as you get yourself into... Um, into the pool every morning, the same way as you jump off that block at five o'clock in the morning to do and Swiss training, which was horrible. Um, <laughs> sorry, Les. Uh, and oh, to, we, should, uh, we should give a bit of a shout out to Les. Uh, Les actually passed away just recently. I don't oh, know no. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, no, it's a legend of the community. We gave him a, a shout out on our last pod, but yeah, RIP Les K. Full legend. on. You know, yeah, as much as you hate five AM uh, and Swiss chess. Well, he's the only reason I got in the water. Yeah, yeah. And I think actually probably the only reason why a lot of people got in the water yeah. and stuck around. Mm. So he's um he's made quite a big impact on the the polo community. Yeah, shout out Les. Yeah. Shout out Les. Um, anyway, sorry you you uh you took the water polo uh, your music career the same way as water polo. Yeah, um, there, there's there's ways to do everything, mm. and you have to just kind of break it down. Where do you want to go? How you know like what's A, what's step B, what's step C and D, and then work backwards. How do you get there? In the same way as we used to do it, you have to get, you know, you, you get into um, a club team, and then from there you get selected. You have to work hard enough to get selected into, you know, state, and then from state you go to you know national trials, and then see what happens. It's the same process for us. You play a pub, and then you save enough money to promote a, sh a bigger show, and then you utilize that show to put on a video on Spotify. 
that brings more people to the next show, and then you book a tour somewhere. It's the same process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just there's a bazillion more steps. I, mean, I guess it's I guess it's kind of similar yeah. to like um like athletes now having to take control of their own brand, right? Like you, the people in bands have been doing that for a long time. Like you, you self promote yourself, and um, yeah, and athletes now trying to connect with brands and self promote themselves. They've got to do the same sort of stuff. Like yeah, it's funny you say that because I have I have a massive respect for water polo players in Australia because it is not considered a fully professional sport mm. that is like the, the, the effort and the, the, the drive that the players have in that sport without getting financial reward or a lot of financial reward mm. is like ridiculous yeah it's crazy it's crazy you know so yeah big ups yeah someone um, on the, one of the pods with Liam Stapleton from Triple J he asked me, he's like, why didn't you just do a sport that paid better? It's like, <laughs> well, that wasn't really an option. Like, it was never really on the table. But um, yeah, no, it's um, the, the drive that you see with everybody in the community and the passion that everybody has just for the sport to be great. Like, it's, it's pretty yeah, it's insane. Great. It's yeah. great. It's borderline psychopathic. But, yeah. <laughs> so um, one of the things that people may recognize you from, if, they're, if they've got pretty good memories, because it was a while ago, um, you're on The Voice in 2013, which was, you know, was. a massive show. Probably took over from Australian Idol as the, the go-to, like, reality music show in Australia. Was that, like, a, a way, do you think, in hindsight, you know, we're talking about your competitive juice, like, that sort of show crosses over competition but also artistic pursuit? Do you think that that was an enjoyable experience to be able to, like, compete musically? Or do you think, you know, it sort of was a bit too well-produced? Do you want the truth? Or do you want the... Yeah, whatever you can say. Yeah, I don't do know if you're in the, the NBA or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, uncut. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, we can take we can beep out names like you know if we don't want to say Delta. Or <laughs> we can say Delta all yeah. we want, but the voice was a very it was an insight into how much bullshit there is mm. in the industry. Mm. If you ask me, I mean, nothing that actually you saw on camera actually happened. You know what I mean? I probably if anyone is out there and watches the voice or has watched the voice in the past. Uh, I was um, on Delta Goodwin's team. So the show worked, like you came out, you performed to like a blind audition and then like coaches turn around and, and decide yeah. that they're like, yeah, you sound good. Uh, and then you've got to, depending on how many coaches spin around, and you've got to choose one. So you had exactly. Delta and Seal turn around, right? I had Delta and Seal. And naturally I went for Delta. I, my mind just, I mean, yeah. <laughs> my body just... Yeah. <laughs> You? you can understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but it, I, I think I spent, you know, the, the, the show probably made us look like we were working hard with our coaches doing all this stuff. Really, I spent probably a, an accumulated three hours maybe in the presence of Delta Goodrum. Mm. You know what I mean? So, like, that to me, and then watching the show, yeah, it was an eye-opener. Um, it's a great show. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bagging on the show. But it was an eye-opener into how you advertise something and how you sell something isn't always how it happens. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and you take from it what you take from it, not what they give to you. Mm. No one gives you anything in this, in the music industry. People only take from you. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. And you have to keep giving, which is a good, it's a good thing to do. It's a good practice to have. You know what I mean? So has anyone from that show actually, like, has anyone from that show actually got a boost in their career? Like, I can't even really remember... A lot of the people. Well, who... the only person I know that that I know pretty well is uh, Celia Pavey, who was on the same episode as me, and she is now very, very blue. blue. Yeah. yeah, incredible artist. But 
for those of you who know her as Celia, Celia Pavey as opposed to Vera Blue, she's actually a folk country singer. Yeah. And it's amazing. And then you hear her pop stuff, and it's a completely different thing. So whether that came from uh, The Voice, I have no idea. But I wouldn't be surprised if her potential was scouted from The Voice. Yeah. I mean, you, you make a lot of connections based off the fact that a lot of people get to see you in your, you know, in your in the limelight. Mm. Um, but I don't necessarily think that the voice is the reason. But it's definitely a really good um, altar for you to get on, or, or just a good platform for you to um, advertise yourself as a musician. Yeah. Um, but it didn't didn't do anything. For so us. it'd be like a, like akin to like somebody going on Big Brother to try and start a radio career. Like he's just sort of basically putting yourself out as that you can talk and that if you put yourself on radio. But the same thing, you exactly. put yourself out there. Hey, I can play music, so. And I can sing pretty damn well. Exactly. And it is hard. Like it is. It comes down to like it's a show. It's basically a popularity contest, right? And mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's not. Uh, it's not for everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> everyone's style is not for everyone. You know, and when you hear me singing the fast four things, it's not yeah. for everyone. <laughs> In hindsight, if you if you had the choice, like before you went into the show, did you have an idea of who you would? would have picked if all of them had turned around. It was always going to be Delta Goodwin. Always. There was never a doubt in my mind. That's amazing. Who were the other two coaches on that, on that episode? series? on my episode, there was... Ricky Martin? Ricky Martin. Yeah. And, and, and one of the Joel, brothers. Yeah, Joel Madden. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Good Charlotte fan. Nice guy. <laughs> so then I guess, like, it's not the, your fondest memory, but, like, overall, do you think it, like, as you said, exposed to the music industry? So would you say it was a yeah. good experience? Yeah, it was overall? a great experience. Don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. not, like I said, it wasn't a bad experience at all, but it wasn't real, but it was an incredible experience. It what's incredible. it like, what's an, uh, an example of like, a, obviously like you didn't get to spend a lot of time with your mentor Delta, sure. but what was like another manufactured thing that you found from the producers where they were like, were they telling you what songs to sing or? Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if you, if you guys, I'm just going to be open here. Hmm. Um, the, the voice really liked this thing about my hips and how I screwed up my hips and I ended my water polo career, kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah. And they really fed on it. They, they loved it. Like, it didn't, like... Everyone needs the story. Yeah, and I that's had that, that soft, like, blah, 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 <laughs> the sad piano when they were telling my story. And uh, along that side, they really, like, loved to talk about how I'm Jewish. I don't know what that, the connection was, but I was this like religious Jewish guy that lost his hips and couldn't play water polo anymore. It was a really strange story. Uh, but this sounds very similar to the Chalabi. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's maybe. Um, but but uh, but it was it was funny. And yes, yes. As as a result, the songs that were picked, I didn't always get to pick the songs. I got to kind of mention artists that I like, but they. Uh, inevitably pick the songs for me mm. which is cool it's all right yeah sure yeah so i guess like post the show like you, you know you, the idea is to use it as a springboard so where did the show take you after like once you were off it where did it take you from there actually the voice specifically did the opposite for me it taught me um how similar the music industry is to water polo is that you're only going to get out what you put in and at the time, I went in there assuming that something would happen, and I didn't do anything about it. All I did was learn the songs and go and sing. But the truth is that you, you know, coming off that show and realizing that almost nothing happens, especially because you're locked into this contract of silence for a period of time, and you can't do anything. Um, might have to cut that out. I think that's illegal. No. <laughs> <laughs>
I think it taught me, it, 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 it made me realize that I actually have to work hard no matter what opportunity is presents itself. And, and the more opportunities present itself, the harder you have to work. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no, I didn't, I didn't gain anything from that experience except I have to keep grinding. Yeah. yeah. Finding the little, little pathways that I can take and all the different connections I can make and put them in a bundle and drop them together. So, ulti- so ultimately, where did, so when you made that discovery, what did that lead you to do? Like, was that when you joined Hot Potato Band or? No, I, I actually uh, actually stopped playing music for a little while. Wow. Yep, and I moved to the Middle East. It's kind of a complete change of scenery, which was a, a incredible experience. Yeah. And uh, I just, I wanted to, yeah, remember what it is that I'm trying to, to achieve. Kind of drove me underground a little bit. So you're in Israel, that's when you're living in Israel? Yeah, yeah, I moved to Israel. So what's it, what was it like? I mean, I, I have to admit to all our listeners, I'm not completely well-versed in, um, you know, Middle Eastern politics. Mm. But imagine being... A, we can this, be open about this. Yeah, yeah. Time. But around, like, 2014, I imagine that's a pretty hectic time to be in the yeah. Middle East. Like, yeah, yeah. Very for uh, tensions and things like that. So did you have any experiences there where just things got a bit hectic? Yeah, I did. I lived, I lived in, um, in a place called Tel Aviv. Which is probably the most international, uh, internationally known uh, place in Israel, uh, and I lived in this small area called Shkunat Montefiore, and it was like a pretty hectic zone. Like every couple of months, there would be like a you know machine gun shooting up the road at Max Brenner Chocolate Bar. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like something like that. So, but that is. I mean, it's a life that we don't know here in Australia. No. That's one of the reasons I wanted to stay there for so long because I feel like um, being in Australia, we're so lucky as people um, to not have to deal with those issues. And you, you look at people over there, it's not an issue to them. Yes, it sucks, but they've grown up in it. Mm. So there's actually a terrible thing side to that and there's also a beautiful side to that and the, I think the terrible side is naturally you have to live within warfare the beautiful side is that when you go out and when you experience something or when you meet someone new and you nurture a relationship you do it to the extent that you may not be around tomorrow yeah. and that means that the experience living in the moment yeah, way more than any years yeah that's it that's it and that meant the parties were <laughs> off the hook you know and uh, it was, yeah, it was a great, great experience. Was there like a, a religious a religious element for you there? Or was it purely like you had family in Israel, so it was just an easy place to, to move to? No, I went there. Um, I went there <coughs> more specifically to understand the politics, the political side of things and to see for myself and not, not always trust the media and the news about what, you know, what they say. Mm. I wanted to go and experience the place, meet other Arabs and other Palestinians and also meet Israelis and see if I can create some sort of connection being that Australian because we're also, you know, we're such peaceful folk. Sure. <laughs> um, did that happen? Did you, did you meet like uh, Arabs and Palestinians? And- yeah, I did some crazy stuff. Uh, I, I crossed the border into Lebanon and I crossed the border into Syria. This is all under the radar and like... What's under the radar? I mean, like how do you, how do you go over the border? We pay someone and you go in the back of the car. Don't like just a, don't just leave that hanging. Tell us more okay. about what, what happened there. That's a good um, story. All right, well, I can't name names, but I. Uh, It'd be pointless to name names anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was lucky enough to meet some Australians that worked for the UN. Yeah. And a lot of them would kind of cross borders with the UN and go be, you know, aides, military aides, things like that. So 
or there were some reporters that I would um, get to know. Um, and so every time they would go on the trip, I would ask them, hey, listen, do you need a spare, my fingers are up here, uh, you know, photographer or something like that. And so they would either give me a pass or they would put me, you know, in the, in, you know, underneath the seat or something like that. And sometimes, um, you know, the driver would actually ask me for a bribe yeah. because yeah. he wouldn't be willing to, to do it without that. What's the risk of you getting caught on the border? Uh, being Aussie, it's it's okay. Pretty minimal? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. okay. Yeah, I, the name Goldstein probably didn't help no. much, <laughs> but, but being an Australian, it's totally cool. So you get caught, they just say, like, go back. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it wasn't that crazy. Okay. But I never got caught, and I always had the best time. And I never saw anything terrible happen, so I can't, you know, it's yeah. funny that, you know. How. Well, that's, I guess that's the whole thing with trusting the media, right? Like, when you actually go and experience it, it's, you know, not so bad. I mean, like, an experience I just had, which was interesting as mm. well, like, you're talking about, um, you know, how it's part of everyday life for the people, and they just sort of accept it. So I was in, um, my partner is playing in Greece at the moment. Oh, cool. And um, we were, when I was staying with her, we were going to training one morning, and there was a heap of traffic. And we were like, why is there so much traffic on the way to training? And it turned out there'd been a, a bomb had gone off at the, like the Sky News oh, um, thing. But it was like they had called up the everyone in the building and said, hey, we're going to let a bomb off in about half an hour. You should get everyone out of the building. So they cleared the whole building, let this bomb off, so blew up some windows and stuff. But everyone was, was like, we were like, this is crazy. Like, this is like a terrorist attack. And they're like, oh, it happens once a year. You know, right. like, yeah, it's just bad traffic for a day and, you know. So, like, they denounce it and everything, but it's sort of like no one really sort of bats an eyelid that a car bomb went off yeah. in Athens. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, it's just part of, it just happens some time to time. It's very true. And then, but the, the funny thing is that you, the key element that you said there is that they let everyone know that there's bomb happening. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So sometimes what you see in the media is you hear a bomb went off and you think, oh, my God, a surprise bomb. Like, all oh, these people must have died. Yeah. God. Yeah. yeah, or like you know, one of the guys there was like, he yeah. was like, oh, you know, the, the, I don't agree with them, but fair play to the terrorists for letting them know, you know. Like, <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I can get on board with this. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah. So what about you? You spent some time in Europe as well. Um, and so part of our research, and Michaela did some great research yesterday, and it was saying in there that basically while you're in Europe that you were basically sleeping homeless on the street. Was that out of necessity? Was that for inspiration? Because that sounds borderline, uh, we're saying psychopathic before for Waterfire. <laughs> yeah. That sounds pretty crazy to me. So tell us about that experience. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a really fun experience. The, the, just so you know, the reason I, I chose to go to Europe was to like start rekindling my musical um, endeavors. Yep. Um, the reason I wanted to be on the street uh, wasn't a necessity. Um, I just wanted to live minimally. Is that yeah, a word? Minimally. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, to see what it was like to be the opposite spectrum of what I grew up in. You know, I grew up in Australia's Bondi Beach. Yeah. Like, that's like the most ridiculous. I mean, I'm my family in particular is not the richest of the rich, but this area is one of the richest places in the world. Mm. You know what I mean? So I don't know what it's like to, you know, suffer or live on the street. So I wanted to feel it, you know, I wanted to know what it's like. So did you, did you have like, um, 
like what was your your get out? You know, I mean, did you have rules that you like you had to live? Uh, uh, you could only spend so much a day. You couldn't sleep in a hotel or like. And what at what point was your breaking point where you're like, no, nah, I'm I'm going back to reality. <laughs> um, well, I I didn't have rules. There was no rules at all. Um, I only I w- I left Israel and, and went there for I think it was close to three and a half months. It wasn't that long, um, but. I only took a thousand dollars with me, Australian dollars, and that's not much. Mm-hmm. And so, I kind of um, at the first in the first two weeks, I spent everything naturally, and then I was faced with the position of like not having some sort of visa or anything like that. Which now is not a problem because I'm a German citizen. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, <good>. but um, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I start had to I had to work, but I couldn't work, so I had to busk, mm-hmm. and so. Busking was the reason I started playing music again, because I literally had to do that to survive in the streets. What were you busking with? I had a guitar. I had a guitar. I had a guitar, and I had like a little box, like a little cube, rolling cube, which um, sounded terrible, <laughs> um, and a little microphone, and uh, I would find other musicians to play with, which was really handy because musicians are often really nice people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is really lucky, you know. I'm not, but everyone else <laughs> is. And but you know, they want to jam with you, and then they're happy to feed you. Or they'll show you locations where you can go and crash, or they might have a place, or they might have a studio, things like that. So there's a, you can utilize the music world a lot um, if you're if you're poor, yeah, you know, you know, or if you're living poor, which is really cool. So, I imagine, I just I have a mental image of you now. Yeah. You know, um, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm picturing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah, it was a great experience. It taught me. It taught me how lucky I am to live where we live. You know, um, but I think three and a half months was enough for me. I think um, came back to Israel for a little while, and then decided to make my way back to Australia. And then yeah. you've, uh, you came back and the music bug's bitten you again and you moved. Did you come back straight into this or was this, in, when I say this, I mean the, the studio and the, and the business that you're running here or is that something that's developed over the last little bit? This is developed. I think the, the, the two things that are really important here in this journey or at least in my journey was what I learned in water polo was how hard you have to work mm. and then what I learned in Israel, which is how hard you have to work. Yeah. Uh, but you don't have to work hard here. We, we, we don't have to work hard here. Everything is, we're pretty lucky. So, yeah. so working hard here is really awesome because you work four, five, six, seven times as fast as anyone else. So um, I came back here and I, I started to um, just write songs for the hell of it. And then um, because uh, of my experience on The Voice, I occasionally got a producer writing to me saying, hey, have you got a song? that I, I've got this ad that I need. And I started, uh, you know, giving these songs. I, you know, I made a bank of like 200, 250 songs at the time. Yeah. And I would just give it to these producers. And then all of a sudden one came back to me and said, oh, cool, like we, your music was, you know, used for this Samsung campaign. Really? And so here's $5,000. And you're like, oh, man, you can actually make money from music. This is... <laughs> Really cool. So I started to get in touch with as many producers as I could. Uh. Meanwhile, also because of the voice, funny, we just had a real. We're just shitting on the voice. <laughs> yeah. We, we, yeah, sorry, sorry, guys. Sorry, the voice. Uh, yeah. Sorry, we're yeah, bound we to back, the voice. Take it back. <laughs> take it back. Um, we, because of that, uh, I had Simon Garley from the Hot Potato Band contacted me because he saw a video of me. 
and said, hey, we've got this touring band called Hot Potato Band. It's a New Orleans band. Why don't you come and trial it? And so I was like, fantastic. I'm not doing anything. Turned out they were killing it and I got really lucky. So it all happened. All this happened really fast. Yeah. You know, it's not even that much, really. What, the studio? Yeah. No, it's, like, this is crazy for us. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> With our little, like, one multi-panel thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, looking around, this is like uh, NASA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the six guitars behind you, Scotty. Yeah, no, I'm pretty excited about those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. That's it. This is, all, this is all I need, this little room right here. Some cool microphones and... And now I get to, uh, I now I write music for, for movies. I Anything you can tell us about? Us. Any movies? Avengers Endgame? Technically, I'm not allowed to say it. Uh, don't, do it. don't do it, don't do it. No, you don't. don't get it. Oh, I no, want to no, know, yeah. but we'll have to, Emma, get ready to put beeps in. Yeah, yeah. and then we'll know it. Yeah, we'll no know it. Yeah. That's oh. pretty good. That's I mean, they just, put a hold, they just put a hold on the movie, but... It's, it's there in the catalog. Oh, wow. Which is very exciting. Do you find like writing music like for things like that yeah. more exciting than performing in front of people or is it a different thing? No, nah, it's a completely different world. It's fun, don't get me wrong, because yeah. it's me here in this room, sometimes in my Getting underpants, <laughs> making music. It's a great experience because yeah. you're free and you know you can do whatever you want. Um, no, on stage it's like, oh. No other feeling. Woo! Stage is good. So I guess one of the questions I had written down was water polo players who are at that elite level, you know, look to go to Europe to play in, in the pro leagues. And like, I guess for music, like it's about cracking it big in America. Is that something that's on the cards for you? Or is it like, is commercial success something that's on, that you want to achieve? Or is that something that's, you know, a byproduct of if you're doing everything that you're passionate about, you know, good things will come? Um, that's a really tough question. No. That's what I'm well known for, is tough yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a, a hard chat. It's a good one. You're yeah. going to have to cut out the awkward side <laughs> every answer. No, commercial success it would be very useful, mm. um, but it's not necessary. My goal is to advocate the importance of the environment through my music and peace through the music. Nothing more and nothing less. And if people find that valuable, then I will be commercial success. But that is not up to me. That's such mm-hmm. a sick answer. Yeah. That's <laughs> such a good answer. Thank you. Thank I'm glad you took that moment to pause and think about yeah. it. Was, uh, all time. So you were talking about um, making sustainable um, environments for, I guess, a lot of musicians as well? Or yeah, for look, everyone? There's, there's a few issues um, at the moment that I like to, to try and address um, in the music industry and in just in general society um, that we all naturally are, you know, we take part in. It's totally normal. Um, which is, you know, the earth's health at the moment is a bit of a sitch. And also I'd like to, I'd love to help um, find a way, like when I was recording and when I was making music and, and, you know, I realized how much money I was spending and how much like I had to, you know, scrape by to eat just so I can afford to record something. You know what I mean? Art shouldn't be something that is hard to achieve. It should be like one of the first things that we can make. So at the moment I'm working with a team of, architectures uh, architects excuse me and um, and gardeners and at the moment we're designing a property that is kind of this multi-recreational property it's like a farm um, and there'll be several different focuses on that farm one of which is a studio and next to the studio is also a uh, event space so for live shows and things like that it's going to be a thousand people capacity we're looking at putting it close somewhere in the Southern Highland. And the whole idea is that every building that's on this property 
um, at the moment we're focusing on the studio and the event space, uh, actually has a minus carbon emission. So what that means is that the architecture of the building is designed so that it uh, allows the growth of enough plants on the building to give out uh, enough of a process of photosynthesis to actually put in more oxygen into the air than it puts out you know, carbon emissions. Um, on top of that, each one is powered by solar, which is amazing. Um, the whole purpose of that area is to entice artists to come into a studio that focuses on the importance of the environment and the importance of uh, artistic values as well. They should be walking out of there understanding the, that they can make an impact mm. um, and they can promote uh, by living sustainably, by um, enjoying a sustainable lifestyle on a recording uh, studio on a farm, they can understand what it's like and the beauty of the environment if it's dealt with in a really good way. Um, and I hope that people would walk away from that experience going and kind of promoting that idea. Um, on top of that, there's also going to be a permaculture garden, there's going to be a tiny little sustainable uh, community. Don't know how that's going to go, that's not my area of expertise, but we're getting there. Um, and the project should be up and running in about a year and a half. I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to introduce you to a friend of the show, Michael Rosenthal, because he's um, so, you guys would get along like a house yeah, on fire. Yeah. He's, we could do a separate pod, just those two talking, yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. the I mean, environment and how, to, and how to save it, because he's so passionate about it as well. So, um, you know, talk, talk Polo for half and then talk, you know, <laughs> saving the world for the other half. So that's, yeah, that's, that's such a, a cool, idea. that's so cool. Well, on that note, we'll move on to our favorite section of the pod, our final section, which is the Fast Fours. Fast Fours theme goes in here. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Uh, uh. Yeah. Ready? Can I get a fast fours? Fours. Four. 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 Nice. Uh, so fast fours is uh, we ask our guests every week same four questions. People can go back and, and hear what they've had to say. I've actually had an idea, and I'll, I'll float it now on the pod. What do you think for Christmas? And maybe we cut oh this out. Um, a book of all our guests' like answers. So we like create like a um, quotes from the show and things that they've said, and we make like a book. Good idea, bad idea. You Coffee let us table know. book. Coffee table book. Perfect. So hey, Ben, so with that I pressure like now that it's going to go into print. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so question number one of the fast fours: uh, If someone was to write a book on the story of your oh, life I so didn't far, think about this enough. Um, idiot's guide to uh, music and farming. <laughs> and put it That's all together. <laughs> an idiot's guide to music and farming by Ben Goldstein. <laughs> that's my book I think it's a good book I think so that sounds they like could a good... probably assist with our coffee table book yeah, yeah. <laughs> they go hand in hand yeah. <laughs> um, okay so um, and this will be a good one because I, I you don't have a choice you're coming to play Beach Falls this year so yes you're to play. please um, do I have to train for that no, no. <laughs> definitely not definitely not no 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 so if you could have uh, normally what we say is like because uh, we're talking to, to athletes we say like if you could have any non-water polo athlete in your team yep. who would you have but I want to throw it to you if you could have any musician in your team oh. who would you bring for, to play in the beach falls with you Lenny Kravitz why because I love to see what an afro looks like in the- <laughs> 
Do you think he'd get yeah. his ca- uh, cap over the top? I don't, that's what I want to know. <laughs> I want to know that. That's pretty much the only reason. That's a great answer. <laughs> All right, uh, question number three. The strangest place that you've ever worn your, your cozies? I've got a great one. Excellent. It's my initiation into the hot potato band. Uh, I made the mistake of telling them that I was an ex-water polo player and um, one of them went into a bit of research and checked out what we wear. And so on the first tour, uh, I believe we were going to Brisbane and we were getting on a flight and uh, the boys said to me that I had to, they dared me to come to the flight um, in my speedo. <laughs> and I didn't take them too seriously, but I thought I'd wear it my speedo just in case, and I wore my speedo, and then uh, one of them had this dreadful face that I remember very clearly, it was a very serious face, I'd never understood if he was joking or not, but he is the account manager, and he said, everyone went through this initiation, Ben, if you don't do your initiation there, you don't get paid for this tour. (laughs) Me being Jewish, I naturally (laughs) took that on as a challenge, and took off my clothes. And there I was on Jetstar, uh, sandwiched between two ladies, about 50 years old, in my speedos. Where were you heading to? Brisbane. Okay. Brisbane. Can I ask what, uh, do you remember what togs you had on? What Was it club cozies? I had uh, my beautiful uh, dark blue Sydney University uh, Shout out to them. Yeah, respect, respect. <laughs> That's so good. Uh, just a lot of hair everywhere. <laughs> um, I'm really surprised that no one told me to put to clothes, put clothes on. on. Yeah. That's that was. There's something wrong there. Yeah. <laughs> no one. This whole process until landing asked me to put clothes on. Bizarre. <laughs> Very bizarre. That's probably, I reckon that's that's got to be top five, surely, yeah. of uh, of the story so far. Nice. So, yeah, I remember it very clearly. <laughs> Traumatic, obviously. <laughs> All right, now the final question in the Fast Fours. If you could play beach water polo fours anywhere in the world, anywhere that you've traveled, anywhere that you haven't traveled, where would you have a game? Just for, from a theoretical point of view, I, I'd, I'd have to say the fjords. The fjords? Yeah, no way. Nice. That would be amazing. How do they go for temperature-wise? Definitely not fun. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, I've been doing Wim Hof uh, breathing in ice no, baths. Don't get me started on that. Maybe, I want to talk about it. Oh, snap. Maybe that's, that's so a conversation good. for Off air, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you reckon you'd, you'd uh, survive that with a bit of breathing, going under the ice flow? And... Yeah, if I was just staying still the whole time. Yeah. It wouldn't be much of a water polo game. <laughs> but in theory, it would be beautiful. Yeah. You know, from a distance. Well, you it would make some one. nice content. Yeah, it would <laughs> make some good content. <laughs> and if you're the only one in the water, you, you obviously win. Like, even if you don't move, if everyone else freezes to death. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, Benny, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for letting us come over and record this with you. uh, How can people find you? How can people connect with you? Um, Tell us about the the studio. How can people book the studio? Um, Promote some stuff. Promote yourself. I'd love to. I'd love to. Check out uh, Hot Potato Band if you like brass music. Check out The Big Ilch. That's the project that I manage. It's a super group of solo artists that made a crazy reggae funk hip-hop band um, really really cool um google it um if you want to check out Ilch records feel free google it you'll find me there you end up making your way to this awesome house yeah we'll put all the links and stuff in with um, 
Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. awesome. There's also a tattoo parlor here, so feel free to come get some art done. Yeah. Um, I'm <laughs> gonna get my national. Cross, yeah. yeah. I'm getting my national championship tattoo because uh, mm. I need to console myself after the weekend. <laughs> uh, Benny, absolute pleasure, mate. You're the best. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me.